Well, welcome to episode 48 of Three Point Podcast. We have a different look at the sports world and current events from three different generations. I'm the elder statement, Ted Fatel of Sportsnet Michigan and Z92.5 Radio. On the phone is our middleman, Matt Burns of ESPN, and our youngster, Jared Fatel of Grand Valley State University and Fox 17 in Grand Rapids. Our partners tonight include the great folks at Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, Corona Public Schools, and our podcast studio, Z92.5 The Castle. We'll also be checking in a little later on with the greatest generations, Jack Strap. And why not subscribe and give us a rating on Apple iTunes? You can also find us on SoundCloud or TuneIn. And you can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at 3PointPod. Tonight, well, we're going to talk, not the game, but the dud in Columbus. We'll talk football in general, and we'll also get in a little talk on college hoops and also some Shiawassee County State Championship football with special guests from Morris and New Lothrop. But guys, <clears throat> no champagne for me tonight. A little cyanide after that debacle in Columbus. That was kind of a, a little bit of a mess, huh? Oh, my God. They embarrassed us. I, think, I don't know. You guys probably were on Twitter or whatever. I, I tried to stay away from Twitter after the game, to be yeah. honest with you. But, uh, you know, there were people out there saying, like, this proves that Michigan was overranked. This proves that their defense wasn't as good as they were. You know, started saying stuff like that. And that, that just seemed a little ridiculous to me because I think the outcome that happened on Saturday – I don't care if you hate Michigan, you're the biggest Buckeye fan, you know, whatever. I don't think anyone honestly saw that happening uh, on Saturday. Ohio State putting up 62 on Michigan. No. I definitely didn't see it happening. And let me just walk you through all the reasons I did not see that happening. So not only did I – I could not sleep on Friday night. I checked the weather uh, in Columbus on Saturday. It was supposed to rain until 2 p.m., 60% chance. I don't think that happened. I was watching highlights from past games. You know, when we woke up on Saturday, I went to Rivals, the best restaurant in all of Shiawassee County, picked up $80 worth of appetizers for a potluck <laughs> I was going to. Because <laughs> I, I figured, hey, this $80 I'm spending, I'll just make it back with the money I'm betting on Michigan. Your friends had to be happy, huh? They, they were. They were. The food is very good. And I, and I even picked up some victory cigars on the way to the public that me and my fellow Michigan fans are we're going to uh, smoke so after we won. What you're saying is you jinxed Michigan. Oh, man. Big time. I, I, you can't, you can't if, buy victory cigars before the victory even happens, right? Just I was. That's cigars. how confident I was. But, or, Matt, this team. Swisher Sweets? Uh, no, they weren't. They were actually some nice ones. It was like a 25 for 5 pack that I bought is what I went with. Okay. But. Matt, this anyway. team, they showed me that they don't, they flat out don't have the Jims and the Joes on this team. I mean, we have Brandon Watson, who is the number 28 cornerback. He had poop running down his leg. We had a quarterback at tight end who decided to have three drops in all three crucial times in Zach's entry. And then we, we had a number 43 on the field, a number 43 at slot receiver, Jake McCurry, six foot, 180 pounds. It's like, it, I mean, I've used this joke a couple times. It's kind of like you out there. It'd be like if we threw you out there, Matt. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We probably would have won the game. <laughs> we would have had a better shot. I would have trusted you more than McCurry out there. I did. I At least think that play, I probably the play you're talking about, Patterson threw kind of like a fade to McCurry. Ended up getting a pass interference call, so it worked out. But when he threw it, I was like, oh, man, if we're throwing fades to Jake McCurry, no offense to him. I mean, he's on the team. That's impressive. You know, he walked on. But that, that wasn't a good sign if we're throwing fades to McCurry. Right. And let's face it, Gentry did have a terrible game. I don't, for whatever reason, he the pressure maybe got to him, but, uh, yeah, he didn't play very well. I mean, he's kind of had crucial drops all year. He's been really pretty good. I mean, I think he made third-team All-Big Ten, second or third-team All-Big Ten, but 
against Notre Dame, he had a drop in the end zone. Against Indiana, he had had a drop in the end zone. And yeah, like Jared said, I think he had three, maybe four drops against Ohio State, and big ones too, ones that would have moved the sticks or in the end zone. So, yeah, that was disappointing. And I mean, the offense, you know, people have been criticizing it. You know, I I don't really know what to think of the offense because they they put up points. Some of them were kind of in, if you want to say, garbage time. Yeah. But I just I can't stand that. It's almost, I don't know if it's this, I don't know what you guys think, but if it's the stubbornness of Harbaugh or what, but like, he's clearly not stupid when it comes to football. You know what I mean? Like, he's been in football his whole life. But, you know, his dad was a coach. He played under Bo Beckler, played in the NFL, has been coaching ever since. So, like, his football mind is there. Why do we constantly go back to running the ball up the middle on every first down? Like, I don't understand it. We go down that one drive at, before halftime. And you could tell they were trying to press, pass, 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 throw throw a deep ball to Nico Collins. He catches it for a touchdown. It's like, okay, here we go. And then we go back to running the ball. Like, I don't know, what do you guys think? Is it a stubbornness or is he just stuck in 1980s football? I think it's a combination of both. He's definitely stubborn, but I, I think I, I do agree with you. They need to start playing today's day and age of football offensively. You just got to. That surprises me that you're. That's how you feel, Ted. I kind of figured you being the old geezer of the group that you would you'd be okay with the offense they're running. No, not at all. And I, I I didn't get a chance to really tune into the game. I missed kind of the first quarter. I caught up with it on DVR just to see what I missed. You know, we did the new Lothrop game from Ford Field. We had we were in the national radio broadcast booth, and fortunately they had nobody else using the booth for the next two high school games. So we sat right there. We could see the high school game going on down below us, and we had a nice flat-screen TV right in front of us. Bartman, my wife, and me watched the Michigan game. And we're getting into it, but we didn't get it. You know, you couldn't really hear the uh, the broadcasters and hear their breakdown of it. I, I, I don't know how that went. But all I know is Michigan or the Ohio State player dropped that kickoff. Michigan scores. You know, they go for two, and I know a lot of people don't believe in going for two at that stage of the game, but I, I was still okay with it. They were down two. They had momentum going. And, damn, if they don't let Ohio State, Ohio State drive right down the field and put three points on the board. Yeah, and aided by, I think they had, like, three penalties on there, like yeah. two pass interference and a holding or something. So, like, it just seemed like, I don't know if we talked about, like, with Notre Dame or whatever, it just seemed like they could never – Stop shooting themselves in the foot and like get ahead. You know they like you said they kind of caught back up. Yeah, they just couldn't get that one. It, they would get stops, but then the offense couldn't do anything with it. So, you know, I think like Jared said earlier, I think it it was a clear indication that you know Michigan obviously has a ton of talent. Like people are trying to act like they're just completely way overmatched by Ohio State. I don't think that's the case. I just think at like certain positions, clearly Michigan was overmatched at certain positions because. I mean, Ohio State, they were basically doing whatever they wanted on offense. Haskins didn't have any hurries or sacks the whole game. And I think the numbers were something like he basically is the best quarterback in the country when he has a clean pocket. Oh, yeah. He had a clean pocket all day on Saturday. Six touchdown passes. That's enough said there. Yeah. What was it? Like, did we forget to give Don Brown his pills? What, what was this? 647 total yards, 62 points. Just we could do nothing. It, they, I think they scored the ball every time they had it. Basically. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the most disappointing things to me is, you know, Ohio State's offense maybe was a little underrated, so I figured they would put up some points. But having our defensive line was one of the better things we've had all year, you know, with Winovich and, and obviously Gary and Uche and all these other guys. And I don't even know, I mean, the, the set, Haskins was never hurried or sacked. It just seemed like, where, where was our defensive line? That, that was kind of disappointing. It was. 
Also, I was a little bit disappointed with the halftime adjustments. You know, you hear talk about it all the time. If you look at the box score on each quarter, okay, Michigan was outscored in the first quarter 7-3, to 17-16 in the second quarter, 21-20 in the fourth quarter, but it was a 17-0 third quarter that just killed them. Yeah. Did you hear that uh, Jim Harbaugh said at halftime he's going to un- unveil the whole playbook in oh. the second half? Oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. I see how well we that saw it. Yeah, we got McCurry out there. Let me ask you guys this, too. Uh, you know, th- it was just flat out an ass kicking. No doubt about it. 62 to 30. I mean, over a point a minute, for God's sakes. But if you put those two teams on a neutral field uh, and both healthy, you think Ohio State wins five, six, or do you think they win eight? I mean, how, how do you think it shakes down? Nine out of ten, I would Nine say. Nine out of I, ten? I just, there was nothing we could do. There was no game plan. Like, we were just flat out outmanned and outgunned. So you throw There's, the whole season away, and, and you're just basing your opinion on that game alone. Yeah, I put all I put all the chips I, I put all the chips on the table for this game. Okay, they didn't deliver. I, that's didn't. how I'm going to view them for the rest of the for the rest of their time. I don't care if they win the Rose Bowl. That how I will remember them is from this Ohio State. Well, game. I see no silver lining. And I agree, but I also think that if you put this edition of Michigan football against this edition of Ohio State football in a neutral site with all the players healthy, you, maybe Ohio State a 6-4 advantage, but I, it, it could be 5-5. Five, five. There's no way I Ted, think it's not. We have Jake McCurry out there running routes. Wow, how, how, that was bizarre. That was just bizarre. What was he even doing in there in that game? <laughs> That's all we had. That's all we had. That's all we had. Yeah, I don't know if that was just like a special one play or something. I mean, he was only out there for, I think, like that one play. So it's not like he was out there getting nine targets, you know, like Donovan Peoples-Jones or something. But it was kind of weird. But I think it would more be even, maybe like 6-4 Ohio State. Yeah. I think if, if guys like Gentry or maybe if Higdon had a better day, if the offense performed better, I think it would have been a completely different story. Uh- but. You know, the, the defense would be the thing. I don't know what, what the defense would do to stop Haskins. So, Matt. so I don't know. I mean, we're, we're talking about Harbaugh. Are you, so are you guys on the on board with, you know, some of these people who are back on the fire Jim Harbaugh train, or, or what do you think? I'm not, but you got to be fired up. So this is what, the thing about this is we're not going to beat them. Every time we play this game, those same guys, Zach Gentry, Karan Higdon, they're going to shit down their leg just like they did. They flat out could not compete with the Ohio State talent. Uh, I, I don't agree with that. I think if uh, – you know, I don't know if it was a game plan thing, but I bet if they went back and looked at tape and came up with a better game plan, they could. I mean, if they stopped running the ball on first down every time and just starting second and nine every damn drive, maybe that would be a start. Yeah, I, I think talent-wise, they're not they're not far off uh, Ohio State. I mean, m- maybe Ohio State's receivers are better. The quarterback obviously had a better game. I mean. Patterson's not bad. He just didn't have the best game, and I don't think they have the best game plan either. But I do agree with one thing. They have been shitting their pants. I mean, 14, 14 losses in 15 games. I mean, what else can you say? Yeah, it's disappointing, and it's another one of those, you know, Michigan controls their own, their own destiny to get to oh, yeah. the BCS championship or the playoff or, you know, whatever. Right. Who ruins it? 06, Ohio State ruins it. 2016, Ohio State ruins it. 2018, Ohio State ruins it. And it's just like, I mean, until you can get over that hump, you, I mean, you can't you can't win a national championship. You can't win a Big Ten championship if you can't beat Ohio State. And, you know, we did, we did, uh, we kind of had a premonition on this. When you're going into that game in Columbus, okay, and you're a visiting favorite, uh, I don't know. It's kind of a recipe for disaster. 
Captain Hindsight over here. Yeah, you're right. You're right. The, I will say, the one part that did crack me up, and I actually laughed for about five minutes. This is just the sort of thing where all you can do is laugh. We, we, we brought in Joe Milton. Everyone, you know, everyone's thinking, oh, the future. Like, here we go. As soon as he comes in, he just absolutely uncorks one down the field. You just go, oh, oh, intercepted. Right. Return nearly for a touchdown. Yeah, what do we have to look forward with this After game? that, he, like, off his back foot threw on, like, 60 yards for a completion. So, but, yeah, it was kind of funny on the first pass. He did, throws a pick. Did that end his red shirt, red shirt opportunity, or can he still red shirt? He can still redshirt. He can still play in the bowl game too. So, oh, good. Yeah, he's he's still going to get a redshirt. And yeah, it just seemed like that was another situation, almost like the uh, the Indiana game where guys just seemed to be kept getting hurt or whatever. So, it just it, that that was an ugly game. There, there, it's kind of a head scratcher, really. Yeah. Do you guys? So, and Matt, I think you're the one that's still a little bit on board compared to me and Ted. Are you? If we go to the Rose Bowl, are you going to be excited for that game? I mean. The, Excited, yeah, because that you know you could really eleven wins is eleven wins, especially with a with a Rose Bowl victory. Like that's nothing to say like it was a a failure of a season. But the Rose Bowl isn't what it used to be. And yeah, obviously getting beat by Ohio State, losing a chance to go to Indian, win the Big Ten, it's it's disappointing. But if they go to the Rose Bowl and win, I'm not going to say like it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, and I think out of all the bowl games, because I'm going to talk more about that, and I'm going to. I'm going to tell you how they should be doing the college football playoffs, by the way. But uh, if you're going to go to any bowl game, the, the Rose Bowl still has relevance. It's the whole Rose Bowl parade. It's the whole mountains in the background. It's just it's just an awesome setting. If you're going to go to a bowl game, why not go to Pasadena, right? They've embarrassed me enough this year is what I'll say to that. Okay. I mean, it could set up to be a disappointing bowl game no matter where they go, who they play, because, I mean, Gary almost – at, before the clocks even hit zero, Gary declared for the NFL draft. So I really wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't play in the bowl game. And and really, I wouldn't blame him for not playing in the bowl game. You know, Winovich. I don't know if he's you know still banged up. If he's going to play, Devin Bush said he's going to play. You know, I so Michigan. Who? What is their motivation going to be in the bowl game? I mean, they right. all the wind is let out of their sails. If they get some crazy matchup with like UCF or something in a bowl game, oh God, that, could that scares be me. A recipe for disaster. It because, could be. You know, I, you know, Michigan. Yeah, they should get up, and they, you know, they want to get an eleven-win season. But you know, it, it was all about winning the Big Ten and going to the playoff this year for Michigan. So I, I don't know. The bowl might be an ugly one for Michigan. That is what worries me, Matt. You mentioned it, UCF, because I've been on the foreground or the the front lines saying how much UCF is just a joke for claiming the twenty seventeen title. If they beat Michigan without their starting quarterback, that's the only thing that could could be more embarrassing than that Ohio State loss. It would be. Yeah. It'd be similar to last bowl season when, oh, what happened? The Big Ten is undefeated in bowls. Who's the last team standing? <laughs> Michigan. And they lose. <laughs> right. You know, and I, again, coming from an old-timer, you might not expect this, Jared, but I think I think the bowls, they've, uh, they've outlasted their usefulness. I think they're okay for, uh, you know, teams that want to have a little exposure at the end of the year, you know, the lower-rung bowls, but... I really think the time is now, and it, it has nothing to do with giving Michigan new life. We talked about it when we started this pod last year when we were looking at the bowl season and the playoff picture. you got to get more than four teams. I know Reese Davis says, well, you, you know, four teams is great because you got to earn it to get in there. Oh, I think the time has come to kind of get the kind of excitement that we have in March Madness, and I think if you take a look right now at the top 16 teams – in the, in the uh, playoff picture, 
and you put them all in a first-round bracket, number one against number 16, and so on and so forth, now you got some excitement. Okay, you have the first weekend of games. You got Alabama and West Virginia. That's a one and a sixteen. You got UCF and Florida, an eight and a nine. You got Georgia and Washington State. You got Oklahoma and Penn State. You got Notre Dame against Texas. You got Ohio State and Washington. You got Michigan at home against LSU. The highest seeded team gets the home game. You got Kentucky and Clemson. Maybe the only one I'm not too excited about. But you look at all those games for first round matchups in a playoff system. Are you going to be watching them? Are you going to be tuned into those instead of bowl games? I sure to hell will. I mean, I'd be watching. I can tell you're fired up about this. You're pretty excited. Um, <laughs> I'll calm down while you talk. <laughs> my, my biggest thing with 16 teams is, I mean, the teams that you're naming off, Kentucky, yeah. this Washington State, they're not good. They're not very good. So you're giving, I mean, it's kind of like the NCAA tournament. You know, you, you got 68 teams or whatever it is now. A lot of those teams that are sneaking into the tournament for basketball, they're just—they're not very good, you know. So like you're giving these teams a chance that they—they they don't even—they—they they shouldn't even be on the same field as an Alabama or a Clemson. You're giving them a chance. No, but they could pull an upset. You never know. Well, that's they what I'm getting at. Upset. Wouldn't that—wouldn't oh. that create some excitement? You don't think a Washington State could pull an upset, or maybe Kentucky couldn't? But sure. West Virginia, a, West Virginia's got a pretty I mean, good Kentucky's team. Probably they might be better than Washington State, but they're not. They they've lost three games, and you know you got like Penn State sneaking in. LSU LSU is not very good. They shouldn't even be in the top ten. Okay. Florida should not be in the top ten. Number nine, and you, so you're giving these teams a chance that really shouldn't even have a chance to win the national championship. And yeah, if they go out there and they pull some crazy upset, it it could happen. But that's my thing with sixteen. I think eight is the perfect number because. Usually the top eight, there's not a big separation from, like, four to eight. Well, I could live with it. And if we, if we did – well, I think everyone's in favor of expanding it to at least eight. But I will say this. I don't think 16 would be good because just this past Michigan-Ohio State game, it really wouldn't have mattered at all. Both the teams are going to get in. I don't really see – like, I just feel like sort of those regular season matchups like a Bama versus an LSU – they don't. They don't matter. I disagree with that. You don't think Michigan? You, you think they would let up if Ohio State was playing Michigan? As a fan, I personally would not care. Clearly, both teams, whether they won or lost, would be top sixteen. I think it would definitely take away from some of the juice because you know Mich- Michigan's number seven right now, and and Ohio State's and going to be in the top four probably. Okay. Or six. So whoever won, wins that game last Saturday, it doesn't matter. It's still going to be in the playoffs. All right. Well, so you're saying eight teams? Are you saying keep the? Uh, Keep the uh, conference playoff, the championship games? Because I say get rid of them. Yeah, that's the thing where I, I think if they expanded the playoffs, that's where you could maybe get rid of the conference championship games because um, it's just an extra game that maybe doesn't decide anything for the playoff. But, you know, eight, I think eight teams is where it is, and everyone has laid this scenario out. But the Power Five conference champion and then three at-large bids, and I think that's the best way to go. Because well, usually once you go past eight in the rankings – like I said, with Florida, Kentucky, Texas, it's just teams that aren't very good. I mean, they're yeah, they're like top 15, but they're not as good as Clemson, Alabama, or, or Oklahoma, you know? I mean, Penn State, they lost to Michigan by 40. Right. That team does not deserve to have their name attached to anything playoff. Well, Michigan then obviously doesn't belong in. I don't think so either. No, they I don't, don't. I don't, I don't think, think they do. throw out this, what if these teams all lose? Michigan could sneak in. No, Michigan's lost their chance. Absolutely. Up 62 <laughs> and you lose by 30 to Ohio State, you've lost your chance again. Yeah, that's drinking blue wine right there, man. That's that's crazy if anybody believes that. But there are diehard blue fans that think so, right? But us three don't. They've lost their just, chance. Just a word of advice to those fans. Do what I did. 
I put a reminder in my phone for 220 days away from when college football season starts up again. Don't get excited for this team. They will they will screw you. They will embarrass you. They will make Michigan State fans laugh at you on Twitter. That's what you have coming for you next year. So put a reminder in your phone. Do we? So we agree. Eight teams is the way to go. Not 12 with the the top four with a bye. I, I personally think eight is the best. I know one of our listeners and uh, one of my buddies, Dan Sargent, he tweeted at us and said six. I know he's said that before. The one problem I have with six is the top two seeds are getting a bye. Yeah. So you're giving those, you know, so in this scenario, Alabama and Clemson, you're giving them a week off to get healthy and everything while the other two teams are going out there and beating each other up, you know. So that that's why I don't like six, but I think eight for me. I think if they play the, the higher seed plays the lowest seed, like Alabama would play the eight seed, I think that's uh, reward enough. Now, Ted, didn't you say that you wanted a 12-team playoff? No, I, I, I retweeted that because I thought that was kind of interesting. What I really brought to the table tonight was I thought the 16 teams, more like a March Madness thing, that's how I would love to see it. These are all big-time college programs as well. Yeah, some of them might have three losses, but uh, I'd eliminate the conference championship games for sure, especially if Notre Dame's not going to join a conference. It's not fair that they play one less game. It just isn't. Yeah, I mean, it's not fair. And, you know, I, I work with some people who are Notre Dame alums or fans, and they've been saying, like, people have been giving them a hard time saying that, like, you guys should have to play in a conference championship game. And they make the point that it's not required <laughs> the college football playoff committee says you have to play in a conference championship game to make it. So, I mean, that there is a point to that. I mean, Michigan or any team should not schedule a difficult non-conference game. Like, Michigan shouldn't schedule Notre Dame anymore in the right. non-conference because beating them doesn't really matter. You may as well just get through your non-conference, beating Western Michigan and the Citadel and these teams, and then win your conference and you'll be in the playoff. Good point. I have nothing to add to I mean, that. If you if you lose if you lose that non conference game, that's going to knock your whole season out of whack. Right. So well, I, if, don't if, I don't know what the perfect scenario is, but the one thing that is a silver lining for Michigan fans, and I know I keep coming back to it, but I'm sorry for me, like this whole season's a, it's a it's a throwaway now. Like for college football, just as a college football fan in general, in the past I, I've been able to you know oh like get, don't get my hopes up, but I got my hopes all the way up. They were sky high. Now they're crashing down. <laughs> the one thing that can bring us back. Cliff Kingsbury, get him to Ann Arbor. And that's Texas Tech's old coach. Right. Yeah. I'm 100% back in if we get him in. That's not going to happen, though, is it? Yeah, I mean, the reports are he's going to be USC's offensive coordinator. So I, I don't think that's going to happen, yeah. What, ma- what makes Cliff Kingsbury such the hot commodity? His offense is ridiculous. I mean, he had Patrick Mahomes and a bunch of other guys at Texas Tech. And, okay. you know, he's that offensive guru type of guy, you know, kind of like uh, Lane Kiffin, kind of like Lane Kiffin yep. was, you know, back in the day. That's Cliff Kingsbury now. So, so you know, it's kind of like when Michigan fired Lloyd Carr and they needed this offensive guru to come in and they hired Richrod. It's similar to that. So, yeah, but Kingsbury's apparently going to USC, so that's probably not going to happen. Wow, this day just keeps getting worse and worse. <laughs> Sorry, Jared. Didn't mean to bring your sales down even more. Did that like just get broken? Is that news that just got broken that I didn't see? Uh, a few hours ago, yeah. I mean, uh, I don't think it's official, but like all the reports are coming out that he's going to USC. Jared, you said you are not on the fire hardball train, but I saw you know our, our favorite slappy, Mike Valenti, you know, in Detroit. He's been on hardball for a while, but he said something earlier this week, um, something along the lines of that Brady Hoke accomplished more in his four years at mm. Michigan than Jim Harbaugh has in his first four years just because he has the one win over Ohio State. 
but that was a six and seven Ohio State team exactly. with Cole as a head coach. So I don't know, like, where do you guys stand on Jim Harbaugh? Like, you know, he got three ten-win seasons in four years. That's something that you know that's pretty good. And I, you know, I was thinking earlier, like, Michigan fans have always been pretty arrogant. You know, we act like we're because we have the most wins in all of college football that we're the best thing in the history of college football or whatever. But you know, ninety. I feel like the ninety-seven season kind of like set people's expectations out of whack, and that was you know now twenty-one years ago. Like, it's not like we were winning national championships like Alabama is now. You know what I mean? Like, three 10-win seasons in four years should be pretty good for Michigan fans or whatever you want to say. But if you can't beat Ohio State, it does make it tough. It doesn't make you a national team anymore, does it? Yeah, we just lower our expectations. I don't think it's Jim Harbaugh, though. I think it, it honestly was as black and white as we are not as talented as Ohio State. There's nothing we can do X's and O's wise. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a lot of it. I'll have to agree. Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of uh, Don Brown. I mean, as great as a defensive coordinator as he is, he has gotten exposed in big games before. If you remember Saquon Barkley running up and down the field on him uh, a couple years ago, you know, against Penn State, when they played Florida State in that bowl game and Delvin Cook was going up and down the, the field on him. You know, against big teams that have a ton of talent like Ohio State, Don Brown's system sometimes gets exposed because if you're playing man-to-man all the time and you've got guys like Brandon Watson, which, you know, he's he's a fine player and everything, but he was getting torched out there. Oh, yeah. Well, to, to kind of wrap this up, we're all three in agreement. It needs to be an eight-team playoff. The sooner the better. Yep. Is there any reason why it can't be implemented, like, next year? I think they did. It is under contract for a few years. Oh, come on. Break that contract. Let's do it right. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Just think of the money ESPN can make, Matt. Oh, man. Boatloads. <laughs> I, I think it would be cool, too. Like, you kind of laid it out. I think it would be cool, too, for those, like, the first-round games to be at the home stadium. Yeah. Then, then you would maybe have those matchups where, you know, whatever, a Clemson or something like that is going up to the big house in, you know, December. Some of these matchups that you would, like, never see before. I'd love it. I want to see it. Let's get it going. Let's do it. You know, let's table any Lions talk. You know, we all had our Thanksgiving dinner, and the only thing I want to say about the Lions game, uh, this Mike Posner guy, what's the deal with him? He's you get to Posner, I'll tell you my notes for Lions. Okay. Lions on a piece of paper and in size 48 font, underlined seven times, joke. <laughs> this franchise and this team is a joke. It is. We can go on to Mike Posner now. That's part of the joke, Mike, in my opinion. Mike Posner... He's changed. I don't know what that was. He's He used to be a rapper that I really enjoyed his music, hip-hop type guy. I don't know what I watched. Yeah, he kind of was playing He kind of was playing to my crowd, wasn't he? He was. <laughs> he was. It was not good. And as for the Lions, it's just you know something's wrong when Matt Stafford starts playing terrible on Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> something's gone awry with this team. Oh, oh, man. Yeah, I don't think we need to get too much into that. All we know is that defense let Chase Daniel go 27 of 37, a couple touchdown passes. I mean, and, and you think about it, the Lions were actually still in that game in the fourth quarter, and Stafford threw a couple fourth-quarter picks that kind of put it out of reach, including the pick six. I mean, you know, do we care anymore the rest of the season? Joke, joke, joke. Right, Matt? Yeah, that's a joke. I mean, it's pitiful because, I mean, you saw, I know I tweeted it out or whatever, and I know you guys saw it, and Dominican Sue, yeah. they, the Rams come to Detroit to play him, so Dominican Sue is coming back, and he said something along the lines of he loved playing for Detroit, for the city, the fans are great, 
but he had no comment on the franchise. And you've heard <laughs> so many former players yes. basically say the same thing. I remember Larry Foote, he played linebacker at Michigan, and he played for the Steelers basically his whole career. For one season, he came to Detroit. He wanted to come you know, for his hometown team, play for a season. He had a good year, but he went straight back to Pittsburgh after that one year, and he basically said the same thing. Loved playing for his hometown team. Loved playing for Detroit, the fans. But he he got the hell out of Detroit and went back to Pittsburgh because it, it's it's a joke of a franchise. It I mean, is. they can't do anything right, and I, I just I, I don't know what else to say. I mean, it's they're a mess. They're a complete train wreck. It goes hand in hand. It's it's a train wreck for an organization and the culture. It all feeds off each other. Yep. Well, next up on the pod is our high school football state championship discussion. We're going to start it off with a man who won the eight-man Division I final up at the Superior Dome all the way up in Marquette, Michigan. We have the head coach himself, Kendall Crockett, 13-0 and state champions. Hello, Kendall. Hi, how are you guys today? Well, we're doing outstanding, and I'll start this questioning off uh, with a very generic question. How did it feel? You know, it's kind of a surreal feeling. Uh, it's exciting. The entire uh, city of Morris was there to support us. Uh, the kids were just ecstatic. It's it's an amazing feeling. You know, I haven't had a chance to watch the entire game yet. I recorded it. I know they had it replayed, I think, a couple days afterwards. But uh, the atmosphere there was very cool. I've had a chance to broadcast from there before, and it's a great setting for a high school game. And you're right. I'm not sure anybody was left in Morris or the surrounding areas at all because you definitely had the crowd factor. And, uh, what, Pickford was just down the road, really. At least in the Upper Peninsula, that's down the road. About a three-hour trip for Pickford. Coach Hader did a great job with his team. You know, that, that was a great team. Uh, our defensive scheme that we put together, uh, Coach Long put together for us for that particular game was outstanding. And the kids bought in, and everything just happened to work out. It's my impression that you guys had an eight-hour bus drive, right? What, what was it like kind of taking that trip up there? Were you nervous that your players were going to lose their focus a little bit? Did you let them watch movies? Did you guys stop out to eat? What was that like? You know, I, I wasn't nervous about our kids. It, it's a... A big uh, senior class that we have, we have 15 seniors, and nine of which played last season and started for us in one fashion or another. So we had everything kind of on lockdown on the ride up for the kids. They could listen to their music, but we had all the uh, food picked out for them. We had uh, where we were going to stop. The itinerary was pretty clear on what we were going to do. And the kids all followed it. The parents helped out a ton with that as well um, for bed check, you know, at night. Everything just happened to work out. The senior leadership that we had on that team, uh, you're not going to find that on too many teams, I don't think. What was the meal on the way up? I mean, did you carb up? We had some carbs. We, Like you said, a lot of fruit, no candy, no sugar, no uh, pop, nothing like that. A lot of water, a ton of water, Gatorade, things to keep the boys hydrated. Uh, we started hydrating probably a week before we even started heading up there. So right after we uh, won that colon game. You know, and that's smart, too, because I know playing in the Dome, the air is extremely dry, and, and a lot of teams cramp up in that conditions, and you were pre- you were prepared for that, which is outstanding. Yeah, we took the, the week. We actually got some, uh, some fortunate uh, things happen for us. We had uh, two practices during the week. We went out to Michigan State, practice inside there, their facility, which was outstanding, I was, the kids just, you know, kind of just walked in there, and it was it was amazing. Uh, it's a beautiful facility out there. Uh, then we went out to the Genesee Dome, 
and uh, practiced for uh, two and a half hours out there. So we practiced in the dome, and we kind of got a feel for what the air was going to be like, how the, the, the warmth was going to affect us during the practice. And uh, we pushed them harder in practice, uh, kind of like game time uh, conditions. And, and we, like I said, we really stressed the hydration part over the course of the week. Coach, you mentioned uh, the community of Morris coming up and supporting you guys, and I wanted to ask about that. I have some family who, who live in Morris, and uh, my brother-in-law, his family, he's born and raised in Morris. So so I know a little bit about that community and how tight-knit it is, and it's one of those where kind of everybody knows everybody type of thing. And I'm, I'm just curious, how, how cool is it to do something like that with the support of the community and how they rallied around to keep the football program around and, you know, to give them some of those memories and, and just a cool moment for the community? It, w- it was kind of neat to see that when we came home and after the game, the, the different parents that came up to you who graduated from Morris and the different people that graduated from Morris, um, other players that played for me and played before I was coaching there, they all came up and give you handshakes and basically are saying, you know, this is great for the community. Thanks a lot for doing what you did. You know, it's not just about the kids that played it. It was about the entire community coming together, uh, all the parents supporting their own their own kids. And some of those dads actually played for Morris back in the uh, 70s and 80s. So, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a big moment for the parents. They take as much pride in it. And the community members that went to school at Morris take as much pride in the event that happened as what the kids did. So, as someone that doesn't watch much eight-man football, what is something that is different from eleven-man football that sort of the casual fan might find compelling or different, or say that this is pretty interesting compared to eleven an eleven-man game? The, the biggest difference, obviously, is how many people you can or who you can have go out on pass routes. We still, you know, we have the eight. Compared to the 11, we have to have five on the line of scrimmage, whereas in 11-man, certain specific numbers can only go out for passes. Eight-man football, if you're the last man on the line of scrimmage, you can go out for a pass regardless of what your number is. I think it's, it's a fast game. It's a lot like if you watch arena football. It's mm-hmm. extremely fast-paced. It moves up and down the field. When you have a team like, uh, like Morris, like uh, Pickford, Poland, Wyoming, uh, there's a lot of fast teams that move and use the spread formations that we that we watch at the 11 man level. We just you know alter it to fit the eight man game. But overall, it's pretty much, in my opinion, identical to what you you see it on an 11 man field, just slightly modified. And you know, coach, I know going into the season, you knew you were loaded, or you knew you had a legitimate chance to go deep in the playoffs, and you consciously made a, a little subtle move in the backfield. You already had the all-star Hunter Nowak, who, uh, by the way, set a school record with over 2,100 yards rushing this season. But instead of going with a, a traditional fullback back there, you moved Austin Eddington, kind of a, a running back, along with Nowak, who's a running quarterback, and it's, their speed really paid off. Yeah, certain formations we loaded it up in the backfield with two of our speed backs. We we could use Austin as a decoy at times, bringing him across on motion and cross blocking back on the opposite side with Connor Lucas. Connor really set the edge for us in the blocking game for uh, Hunter. Uh, you can really watch that in the Pickford game how well he did setting the edge for for Hunter. But putting Austin in the backfield, especially for the last three weeks of the season in about three or four of our sets that we have, 
uh, it really put defenses, a lot of strain on those defenses to keep the edge and the middle of the field occupied with these defenders where, as before with Connor in there, you pretty much knew that Hunter was going to get the ball, just where was he going to go? Right. You mentioned your uh, offensive uh, sort of game plan and how, how well you guys did offense. It's under, it's my understanding that a couple of years ago, you, when you first went into eight-man, you had to ask around sort of as, as just a first-time eight-man coach, kind of like, what offense you should run. Is it safe to say now, like as a state champion, that you've kind of figured out, you know, your way as a play caller, I guess, for lack of a better word? Well, when, when we first got started, like, yeah, I... I didn't have any clue about the eight-man game. So I had to kind of learn as quick as I could. And we set our schedule up. We played some of the, at the time, Peck. We played Peck. We played Deckerville. One year out of Deckerville's state championship in 2013. Then we played Peck, and Peck was a state champion that year. We played Lawrence, and Lawrence was a state champion that year. So you take bits and pieces of other people's offenses, and you kind of make it work towards yourself. Uh, we got away from the I formation stuff after the first year. It wasn't working. I, I wanted to move the offense faster, so we, we came up with a couple sets and more of a shotgun. Lawrence really gave us a good look at what a what a fast team should look like with all of the uh, motions that they used and all of the uh, pass patterns and all of the, uh, the uh, short screen passes that they used. So we kind of utilized film on them to, I guess, uh, bring forth what we have today, which is just a wide-open, spread-option-looking offense that we, we don't pass the ball a lot, but we, we can run the ball in uh, three directions at all times. Well, this is your fifth year there, right, Kendall? Yeah, this is my fifth year. How about that, boys? A five-year plan and a state championship. Does that sound good? Yeah, that's not a bad plan. <laughs> I think Jim Harbaugh needs to get on that plan. Yeah, we'll have more talk about that for sure. Uh, Kendall, uh, what was your background leading you to Morris? Um, I started coaching uh, in college in 2000 uh, down at Kalamazoo Central. I uh, helped out on the JV team when I was still at going to Western Michigan. Graduated in 2002, went to DeWitt for three years. My wife and I moved down to North Carolina for a couple of years, and then we came back, and I got back with uh, DeWitt. And I started teaching at Morris, and Coach Long at the time needed a defensive coordinator, so I stepped up and uh, was helping out there. And then just certain things happened along the way, and, you know, Morris moved on to 11-man football, or excuse me, 8-man football, and I, I, was, I was there and interested <laughs> in it, and, you know, the, the, kind of the rest is history at this point. Wow. Well, I know the the motto of the team was one team, one dream, and and you certainly lived up to that. And I mean, that is a dream. You think about it, you know, this team, yourself, you're going to be legends forever in the Morris area. I mean, 20 years ago this year, as a matter of fact, uh, only a week away from 20-year anniversary of the Morris girls winning the Class D Varsity Basketball Championship themselves. And, you know, those two teams obviously will be sitting there in Morris Oriole lore forever. I mean, how how's that feel? Uh, as a coach, it feels great just knowing that all of our kids put forth the effort that they did to get there. You can't really say you deserve anything. You have to earn everything. And I, I feel like for what they did, they earned exactly what they uh, put their their heart into, their soul into. So as a coach, I take a lot of pride in the fact that we just won a state championship uh, in the Division One eight-man championship. And, you know, it, it's great to know that the kids are going to be a part of that, that lore you speak of, you know, 
forever at Morris. Yeah. Great. Part of that lore, lore I think, is, is the fact that you guys are able to pitch uh, like six shutouts this year. <laughs> uh, like Even at one point, I even pegged you guys like as the, the eight-man, 85 Bears. Uh, but, like, Can you kind of walk me through like what was so crucial to this defense that made it basically the next 85 Bears? Yeah, dominating. We transitioned into a 3-3 defense this year. Coach Long kind of took the, the, the reins on this, and he turned this thing into – we started off week one, or I should say week two, versus Deckerville, and we missed out on our first game uh, because of a forfeit. But we went into Deckerville, and Deckerville has been – they just – they've beaten us, and they've beaten us, and they've beaten us. So all the coaches, all the players, we were just – we were pumped up for the game waiting to see what was going to happen. And Coach Long, he put the defense out there that we, you know, we worked on all week, that we worked on all summer, and kind of as a, it's a trial by fire. And usually you look at a three-man uh, defensive front not being able to stop a five-man front from the offensive standpoint. But once we got going, we found out how fast our defensive line was, how good our middle linebacker was in Connor Lucas. The outside linebackers could fly sideline to sideline, and the corners could stay over the top. So everything just worked out. The kids all bought in, and once we got rolling past Mayville, um, we got into the Lawrence game. We had a few headaches with them, and once we cleared Lawrence, that's when we started hitting the uh, the shutout. And uh, the boys just bought in every single week. Coach Long would bring a different uh, a different uh, defensive look or looks, we had about 15 to 25 looks that we could put the uh, the boys into. And we had our blitzes, our blitz packages, we had some automatics, we had some some reads. But everything that we did, uh, you, you got to take your hat off to Coach Long for putting the kids in the right spot. And, you know, in the eight-man game, some people say there's no defense. Hmm. Uh, I think we proved that wrong this year. Uh, just one more question for me, Coach. Uh, would you be opposed to returning to, like, 11-man football if Morris's enrollment increased enough? We would not be opposed to going back to 11-man football, but like you said, the, the enrollment's going to have to increase tremendously. We're at about 163 students right now. So we're not – I mean, if we could maintain a 22- to 28-man roster at the 11-man level, I think that's sustainable. Mm-hmm. But at the same time – at Morris next year, I know that I have four seniors coming back, and we're going to be scrapping to try to put a JV program together with the numbers that we have. So our, our numbers are not consistent. Uh, this this year that we had uh, just now was kind of the high point, I would say, for the numbers. We're not going to have 15 seniors coming through. Yeah. Uh, that play football anytime soon. So if we could get the numbers to level off and we could get 20 to 28 kids, I think 11 man's not out of the question. Yeah, well, I'll say one thing. An eight-man dynasty, which you, you, you're starting to get something going there, as you know, as a coach, you get a program started, you get the youngsters watching all the glory, and they want to become Orioles. You know, you could, you could have something real special going there in eight-man football. We hope so. We hope so. Well, I got one, other, I got one final question for you. Uh, former Z925 Castle uh, sports member Andy Flynn uh, probably was amongst the fans shedding a few tears after seeing that championship. How pumped up was Andy? Well, Andy was right there on the sideline with us. Right. Our staff for us. So uh, I went up to him first thing and I gave him a big hug. 
yeah, like you said, he was very emotional about it. It was it was a long time coming. He's the biggest Orioles supporter out there. Uh, he does all the statistics. He does all the historics. He, he does everything for the program on that sideline. And and you know he's he, he just bleeds black and orange. And he's been a, a great help to me. He was the uh, athletic director at the time that hired me. So I you know big hug and hats off to him for uh, giving me. My yeah, great guy, and like you said, I mean, he's Mr. Morris Oriole and a, a member of the Hall of Fame over there. This team obviously stamped their ticket to be a Hall of, Hall of Fame member, and Coach, I think you're also on your way as well. well I appreciate that. Thank you. All right, Kendall, we really appreciate you joining us, and uh, again, congratulations on that season, and we'll be checking in with you next year. Okay, I appreciate it, guys. Thank you. All right, thanks a lot. Well, our next coach is also a 2018 champion, and we also have one of the star players on the line with us. That's New Lothrop, the Division Seven state champions in a new final record for points scored. New Lothrop 50, Madison Heights, Madison 44, one of the best games we've seen in a long time, one of the best games we've ever broadcast here, and we have both gentlemen on the pod with us here tonight. Let's start with the head coach. First of all, congratulations, Clint. You know, we, we've talked for a long time on my radio show, but uh, you had a chance to to match your state championship as a player, and uh, what a great performance. Yeah, it really was. It was uh, I'm sure one of them games that was pretty entertaining to watch as a fan, um, and uh, just really need to be a part of that, and obviously to come out on top was was pretty special for us. And, of course, one of the key plays in that game, you know, Madison Heights had a little uh, little momentum going, and uh, they scored a touchdown to really tighten it up, and uh, the young player on the other line, Aiden Harrison, 96 yards to the house. Walk us through that kickoff return. Well, we just thought that, you know, if the ball was to come deep to the corner, I was going to take it. So I called off Will and told him I was going to take it. Guys up front did a great job blocking. The hole opened up and the rest is history. Well, I'll tell you what, you were just shy of the final state record. I saw some quote that you wished it would have been two or three yards deeper so you'd have that record, but you'll take the state championship anyway. It was uh, definitely one of those things. I know when they, I remember when they kicked it off and it went deep. I was like, "Did they just kick it down, like down the middle?" That Aiden. I mean, even I was kind of like shocked that they kicked it down, you know, right down the middle to him, you know. And uh, I don't think, kind of looking over there at the checking the big screen, I don't think that their coach was planning on kicking it deep. He looked like he was a little upset that it went right down the middle. Right. I know the final score was fifty to forty-four in that game. I mean, it just sounds like it was a shootout. Uh, I, I saw some of the highlights and looked like a fun game to watch for sure. Is that one of those games as a coach that, I mean, it's a state championship, you just got to let it all loose? Do you just kind of start letting the kids play and let it let them play and, you know, throw it around the field? Or how, how do you approach a game like that? Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's kind of one of those things that uh, as the game kind of got going and you, and you seen it was going to be that kind of game, I was, like, kind of consciously trying not to, like, get out of what we were trying to do. You know, it's, you know they would score, and it's like, man, like in the back of my head, I was like, wanted to call, like, some kind of, you know, we have – you know, a lot of different, you know, double pads and trick things. And it was like, I want to answer back right away, but, it was, you know, but it was like, no, let's, let's keep doing what we're doing. Let's kind of, you know, uh, you know, we were running um, our jet read stuff pretty successfully, running a lot of, um, you know, straight jet and, and our RPO stuff. And, and we're having success with that. So it was kind of, for me, consciously just trying to stay within our game plan and not get caught up in that tit for tat kind of thing. You know, to win a state championship, you got to be, you know, 
22 strong offense and defense, obviously, but you also have your your key players that really make things go. Aiden's one of them, obviously. And then uh, what about the quarterback? You know, Avery Moore, both of you can maybe comment on him. I know Austin Brown, uh, your counterpart in that state championship game, came with the high accolades, and I could see why. Kid can play, and also his offensive line did a pretty darn good job giving him some time to throw the ball. But, but what about your quarterback? He kind of stepped up to the challenge, had a big state championship game. Yeah, he did, you know, and I think, um, and I, you know, you've been covering a little, you know, some other games there too as well, and so you kind of got a chance to see him, and I think he's been doing that all year, and I mm-hmm. think um, for many it was just kind of their first time kind of seeing him, you know, on that stage, um, and getting an opportunity to kind of witness him, but, you know, that's how he's been all year long. I mean, he's been, uh, you know, playing this, that kind of level all year. You know, obviously going to that game, it was kind of, a, you know, more versus Brown kind of thing because um, they're both, you know, highly, you know, I mean, highly skilled quarterbacks, you know, and like you said, the Brown kid is definitely a stud, and no doubt that, um, you know, he, uh, um, you know, is a pretty special player as well. But, I mean, to speak with Avery, you know, on Avery, he definitely, uh, you know, was a tremendous leader for us as well. I mean, it's because, like I said, doing all those different things offensively, it, it, is, it is a lot. It, I mean, he's literally making a read almost on every play. So um, he does a great job of that, you know, and, and he'll be the first to tell you, you know, having – uh, them, you know, we had a pretty special offensive line as well, and, and having some great skill guys around him, Aiden being one of them. Um, you know, he does a great job of distributing the ball. So, you know, like I said, I, and, you know, Aiden can kind of speak to, to him a little bit too, and um, just his ability to kind of get the ball to him and, and those kind of things. But, um, you know, definitely blessed to have him as our quarterback. Aiden, I'm curious. You talked about the the kick return, and I know you had a ton of other electrifying plays this season and in your whole high school career, but I know you're heading to Missouri to play in the SEC East with uh, Coach Barry Odom. I'm curious if you kind of are envisioning yourself having kickoff returns like that or other plays at the Swamp in Florida or against South Carolina, Tennessee. Like, are you already looking forward to performing that way in the SEC? Yeah, it's something I'd love to do. I mean, I hope I'll get the chance to return kicks and stuff like that in college because those kind of environments are something you look forward to it, I mean, when you're a little kid. So hopefully I'll get the chance to do that. Um, I'd love to be able to, you know, show my talent on that kind of a stage. Can you walk us briefly through the recruiting process? What made you decide Missouri? I got my first offer from Iowa State, and then that's when the ball got rolling mm-hmm. a little bit. And uh, then I got the offer from Missouri, and I I decided to go down there. Uh, my mom, stepdad, dad, and I drove down there, checked it out, and, I mean, it just felt like home. Everything felt right. Uh, I mean, from the way they treated my family, um, how they want to use me in the system, like the, their coaches' backgrounds, it's everything just, like, I mean, it fit together. All the puzzle pieces came together, and it felt like the right place to be. What are they What are they telling you starting off? What do they want you to do? Uh, I'll probably start off just doing special teams, but, I mean, later on, they probably, uh, kind of like the rover position, the uh, Sam. Uh-huh. So I'll probably be covering, like, the tight ends, the running backs out of the backfield, the fly receivers. Uh, those kind of things. Uh, Coach, I saw on the uh, the TV broadcast they mentioned uh, the Buddy Miller story and like sort of its correlation to your lime green socks. So some of our listeners might not know uh, that really just awesome story. Would you mind explaining it to us? Yeah, uh, Braden Miller was a, a nine-year-old um, student at New Waltham. Um, personally, he you know was pretty close with our family. He was like uh, one of my son's best friends, so we knew him pretty well. Um, but two, uh, about twenty-two, I think twenty-two months ago. He was diagnosed with a uh, rare brain cancer, and he lost his battle. Uh, it would have been week nine, like right before us going into the playoffs. He passed away, um, and it, it, it hit the town pretty hard because everyone knew of the, you know, knew of Braden and and knew of his battle. 
Um, and, you know, even last year, the team kind of embraced him. Um, last year, he was the, um, the grand marshal at our, uh, at our homecoming last year. And, and so he's kind of been a big part even coming into this year and throughout the season. And then obviously when you pass, um, it, hit, it hit pretty hard, um, you know, not only the community but our team. And uh, his favorite color being uh, lime green. We actually wore, you know, lime green socks throughout the entire playoffs with his name, with Buddy, which was his nickname, on the socks. And just kind of, you know, um, a way to kind of commemorate, uh, you know, commemorate him and kind of, um, you know, keep his, obviously keep his memory alive. And he just really became a, a big inspiration for us, you know, really throughout the playoffs. And we were just kind of had, we could kind of, kind of happy we could represent him and um, his family. And, um, you know, so... And, and, and maybe help out a little bit in the healing process with that. So, you know, we, like I said, it was um, it was just something we were glad we were able to do and, and uh, you know, kind of keep his, uh, keep his spirit and name alive. You know, uh, I know winning a state championship is a, an emotional thing, but I saw you were a bit overcome with emotion after the game. Was it uh, you were thinking about Buddy? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Sonny, you know, who was doing the interviews, it was like literally that game was so back and forth, and I, I mean, I was, I was on edge too, and it was like one of those things. I, I mean, I literally like, like, you know, verbally say, "Hey, buddy, man, we need you here." I mean, I was, <laughs> I was praying and and hoping he could help us out because, like I said, it was, it was really cool. Cause it was like we could all, you know, feel his presence there, and and like I said, I was, I was calling on him there to help us out, and and yeah, and like I said, it, and at the end of the, uh, at the end of the game, um, it was just, it was. A long, uh, I don't know. I mean, couple months. You know, it's just it's been a long stretch, an emotional one, a roller coaster ride, uh, a little bit, and uh, it was just one of those things. I didn't know. I just, I just was overcome with with emotion, with with it all. Just kind of came together and. It just, I don't know, it just all came out. I don't even know how to explain it. Well, I'll tell you what, there's nothing wrong with emotion. And the the thing is, uh, maybe to explain it, you know, you had a lot of close calls where you had teams that were outstanding, didn't quite get over the hump. This one got you that championship and well-deserved. Now, I want to get in your coaching brain for a second, okay? Yeah. I want to know what was going through, through your mind here. Okay, late in the game, you guys intercepted a pass. You were already up a touchdown. You had the ball down about the, I don't know, 19-yard line, and Avery Moore scored a touchdown. And I'm going, oh, no. If you would have just fell at the five-yard line, you win. You kneel down and win the game. Going up by two touchdowns, they still had a chance. And they almost capitalized on that because they came right down, somehow got behind the secondary, scored a quick touchdown, and still had time for the onside onside kick. And if they would have recovered it, they had a chance to completely break your hearts. What was going through your mind when Avery scored that touchdown? Were you were you happy for it and said, we got this one, or were you going, had, oh, no? I had the same, you know, I had a similar thought like you did, but, you know, at the same time, it, it, it's hard <laughs> to take points off the board, or, you know what I mean? To yeah. Do that, and, and a lot of things would have to go right for that all to happen, which, I mean, they had an opportunity, and they got to the point where they had the onside kick, and, you know, right. um, luckily we recovered it. But, you know, I guess in my head, too, when we ran the play, I didn't, I didn't tell Avery, if we, hey, if you bust one, lose, go down. Right. Um, I didn't put that in his head. Uh, you know, so maybe that was that was on me a little bit. I should have. I don't know. But I guess in my head, I didn't think he was going to break one either. You know, <laughs> I know. what I mean? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I, I guess I, I'm glad that it all worked out the way it did. Uh, but I definitely know where you're coming from with that. And But at the same time, I, I feel like, Let's let's get you know, let's put points on the board. Let's make them have to go score twice in a minute and a half. 
hey, there's nothing wrong with that. And again, I'm not second guessing you, but I've, right. I've oh, it just I, made me nervous because I've seen it happen before. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, no, tr- and, and trust me, when when they scored quick and Homer lined up for an onside in my head, I'm going. Holy crap! Like you know, we we could have got a person to sound it out. You know what I mean? And, uh, right. So that definitely, uh, you know, I'm glad he didn't come back to bite us. But no, at no. the same time, I'm glad that it all happened the way it did. I mean, hey, hey, when they when we scored, I was jumping up and down. Right. Well, you did go up by two touchdowns. I, I got one final question for myself. What was it like coming back to New Lothar? Maybe both of you can answer this. You know, the bus ride through town. Uh, what happened? Did you go to the gym? Give us a little breakdown on the celebration when you made it back to New Lothar. Well, we were driving home on 13 there right before we made the turn to go into town. Um, that's it was probably like six, I bet six fire trucks, you know, and uh, police cars and everything. And so anyway, they escorted us into town. And I mean, the whole time we're doing it, I was just thinking like how cool and special of a moment that was for all of us to kind of uh, kind of experience and something we'll all remember forever. You know, rolling through town at 10 miles an hour with everyone out. Um, even the people who are out of their houses as you're going through the kind of rural stretch there, right before town, they're all, you know, you, you got you know, 80-year-old you know, couples out there waving on their lawns and just a really neat thing that I was thinking in my head like as we're doing, like, man, I don't know that you get this at every town, you know. It's so, New Ulta really is a special place. It's such a tight-knit, uh, you know, uh, community. And uh, that is really something cool I always remember. And then, of course, we pull in the school and all the parents and, um, you know, fam. I mean, there's, you know, tons of people there at the school as we pull into there and then... Um, it was kind of cool. We got off the bus, and they, I don't even know, they must have already had it done. I don't know why they already had it done, but they handed me the road sign ah. when we got off the bus that said 25th Championship Drive. Outstanding. And uh, they handed it to us that when we got off the bus, and it was just, uh, you know, at that point, everything's still kind of sinking in. I mean, um, I mean, shoot, it still is for us all, I think. But uh, it was just a really cool experience, really cool moment that um, – that I know myself, I'm sure Aiden and the rest of the guys will, will kind of remember that the rest of our life. Well, you know, this is Three Point Podcast, and that game, the audio of that game is forever on our Three Point Podcast site. So anybody over there in New Lothar that hasn't had a chance to check it out, you can listen to that game. Listen to this old guy got a little excited a few times in that game. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad uh, like I said, I'm, I'm glad you guys covered us. and I know you got to cover that Fuamo game, which is another fun one. Oh, and, yeah. Um, so, yeah, I appreciate the coverage you guys, you know, staying with us. For Aiden first, so what was the transition like going from a higher division uh, at your previous school where you played teams, you know, as such as Fenton, Detroit Country Day, and Franklin, to playing some of their smaller schools, like, during the regular season this season? Uh, I sort of picture it, like, maybe as going from almost, like, a all like playing Madden and going from all-pro to, like, a rookie. Did, did the game slow down for you a little bit? Uh, I mean, it slowed down a little bit, but, I mean, it wasn't anything too drastic, uh, it was still, I mean, practice was high energy. Everything we did was high energy. I mean, mm-hmm. never felt like we were doing anything slow. Uh, games didn't feel slow. So, I mean, it was a little bit of a difference, a little bit of an of a, uh, adjustment coming down to Division Seven, but it wasn't anything that I would take back or change. And then uh, for Coach, uh, so your halftime speech uh, during the championship game, I saw this video on your Twitter, actually. It, it was eerily similar to Tim Tebow's uh, one half of the rest of our lives speech. So, so my question is this: Do you owe Tim Tebow a thank you for how well your team played in the second half? <laughs> I don't even know where I got 
honest to God, it was one of those things we were walking into the uh, <laughs> locker room there at halftime, and, they, and the camera's there, and he's like, hey, we're going to follow in. So, like, immediately in my head, I'm like, oh, crap, i got to, like, be careful what I'm saying in the <laughs> locker room. It's just going to be on TV kind of thing. And it was just, no, I mean, that was just kind of walking in as, you know, your first, you got a 20-minute halftime, and you just kind of, I always just kind of address the team with a quick thing as I walk in, and then it's, from there it's more just halftime adjustments and what are we seeing, what do we got to change. So that was just kind of a little snippet thing, you know. The, the one thing I will say, though, before we went out to the game, um, you know, you're about to go out for a state championship game, and so you've got your, your big pregame speech all set up in your head, you know. <laughs> and uh, so I start my pregame speech, and as I'm getting into it, I'm almost like starting to break down and cry. I've uh-huh. never given a speech where I knew it was going to be my last speech, you know, to a group of kids. And so I'm trying to hold it together. And then, so I kind of start, you know, breaking down a little bit. Then I, like, my half or my, my pregame speech was, like, just kind of, a, I guess, more of a, like an emotional speech. It wasn't like a rah-rah thing. It was about, you know, just the time we've had together and this and that. But before I know it, like, everyone's crying. Like, all the players are crying. <laughs> the coaches are crying. And we're, like, lining up to go on the field. I'm like, did I just make a bad decision of giving this? Speech? Like, we're going out in the state championship game, and everyone's, like, <laughs> emotional and crying here. But it ended up working out, I guess, all right, because we got the ball and scored on the opening drive. So I was like, all right, I guess it worked out okay. So yeah. You ruined my eye black a little bit with that speech. <laughs> <laughs> Well, guys, hey, we really do appreciate the time. And, again, uh, thanks for the opportunity to kind of relive your state championship one more time. And, again, best of luck down the road. And we'll definitely be checking in with you, uh, Clint. And, uh, obviously, Aiden, if you're ever back in this area, we might hook up with you and see how your college career is going, all right? All right, thank you. See you, guys. Yeah, we'll see you. Uh, we have Jack Strap coming up next, but before we get to Jack, I want to tell you about the Corona Connection. That's a publication founded to create a platform for Corona residents and students to connect, view the entire Corona Connection paper online every month, both on Facebook and at coronaconnection.com. Well, you know, we got the Michigan game behind us. Yeah, they're going to go play in a bowl game. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about that when the time comes. But really, basketball season is heating up a little bit here as we head to the end of November and uh, into December. I mean, Michigan State had a nice matchup with Louisville. They came out on the short end, did not play very well, especially to start the game. They fought back in it, but, but couldn't get the W. But what I'm most impressed with, go. it's funny for our our fans that listen, they know we like Michigan, but the, this Michigan basketball team is something else right now. I mean, they're they're playing tremendous ball for Beeline. I mean, they're another national championship contending team, boys. Yeah, I mean, Mo Wagner leaves. We replace him with a player that state fans are going to hate even more than oh, yes, Ignis Brasidis. <laughs> He's from Ontario, Canada. I just love how Beeline knows how to recruit Canada like no other coach. Sorry. That's a little Canadian accent for you. Yeah, I don't know if he has a nickname, but I'd call him Brazilla. He's like a up-and-coming monster there for the Wolverines. He can play. He can play. I mean, he's a true freshman. You know, he's got a similar game to Mo Wagner, but he seems like he's more aggressive on offense, which is great. Yeah, this team, though, I I honestly don't know, like, what would be the weak point right now. It's only November. I mean, a lot of people are getting super excited. I know I am. But it's only November. A lot can change come March. But, you know, maybe depth is the one thing that you'd say. They're only going like seven deep uh, on the bench. So you'd maybe want to see them go eight or nine. But, you know, they've, they've got great point guard play. They can shoot. They've got size. They've got guys like Iggy. And, you know, their defense is number one in the nation. I don't really know where you can say is a weak point right now on the team because they're they're really clicking right now. Yeah, I mean that defense is a lockdown D, and and Beeline really, I mean 
There is no way, I think I saw a tweet you had too, Matt, that he's an underrated coach. He's certainly not underrated. He's a Hall of Fame coach. I think so. I mean, the the one thing, obviously, he doesn't have a national championship. Like, that's the one thing holding him back. But, yeah, I I don't know how anyone can say that he's not one of the best coaches in the nation because he's been winning and he's turning out and he's turning out NBA players at a high clip too so you know he's there and he does it the right way I mean I guess you never know we're not in the program we don't know everything but it sure seems like he does it the right way yeah yeah uh death taxes beeline putting a 20 plus win team on the court those are the only (laughs) things that are for sure in this life you know the other thing I was pretty impressed with too in that Carolina game was Chrysler Arena was just rocking man that place was on fire. Yeah, they were pumped to see uh, their team actually come out and perform in a big game, you know? Absolutely, and it was nice to have one of those games at home. You know, Michigan's they're only seven games in, but Michigan's basketball team hasn't allowed 62 points in a game yet. Too bad the football team couldn't do that against Ohio State. <laughs> That's the thing is Michigan basketball under Beeline has never embarrassed me. Where I feel like the Jim Harbaugh Michigan football team has embarrassed me like three or four times since he's been there. Like yeah. I, like they, yeah, I mean, they the always show up in the big game games. last year. Villanova was just oh, they were spectacular. I mean, they were they were the best team in the country. But right, yeah, that's true. Like you rarely get embarrassed, run off the floor with a John Beeline team. They're always prepared. They're always ready to play. Well, it's going to be an interesting run here as we continue these podcasts throughout the winter towards March. Uh, but. You know, I think both Michigan State, frankly, and Michigan, obviously, they're going to be there making a lot of noise before this thing's all said and done. Did you uh, and did you guys see uh, Dan Dockage was calling the uh, Louisville-Michigan State game, and yep. State fans were irate. I actually like this tweet from one of our listeners. He said, uh, "This is from Joe Janka." He said, "Dan Dockage, one hundred one, one talk smack about MSU for the entire game. Two praise State's opponent for ninety percent of the game. Three <laughs> complain about all calls for MSU and against State's opponent. Four State wins game. Five Dockage talks smack to State fans on Twitter after said game. Pretty true. I love Dan Dockage because of it. Yeah. In fact, I think we ought to get him on the, this podcast, guy. I've got connections. I know Matt, uh, he's an ESPN guy too, but I got a, a kind of a personal connection with a friend of mine that I think we can get him hooked up to be on this podcast, hopefully. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Awesome hoops. I like him too, you know. I mean, he is a little bit out there, but uh, he knows basketball uh, and he's not afraid. He's kind of like a barstool guy, uh, Jared. You, you know <laughs> that what I mean? Was a, that was a classic. Um, I'm relatable. I get you, uh, hipster millennials. I, I, I guess I don't really. I kind of get what you're saying. I mean, but, from, from him not being afraid to say what the hell's on his yeah, mind. Yeah, I get right, that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This like the state team, they, they look good until they played Louisville and they lost that game, obviously. But the thing that I think people need to notice is like Josh Langford's not going to shoot 48 percent from three forever. Right. Right. And it's like, and I feel like Michigan State basketball fans have sort of the same view as Michigan football fans kind of do now. Like, let's see what happens when it matters. Let's see what happens when they play Ohio State. Let's see what happens when they make it to the tournament. So it's just you can't really get too excited about Michigan State's regular season anymore. Right, right. And let's face it, I mean, you may disagree with this, but they were playing without McQuaid, and and that's a factor. I mean, he has a definite role on that team, and he can get hot at certain times, and he didn't even play at all. He didn't even make the the trip. Even if it's just for depth, you know, I mean, he's a big part of the team. But my biggest thing that I come back to with Michigan State, and especially Izzo, is, I mean, there's a number of things, but uh, one of the big things is why he is so stubborn, maybe like Jim Harbaugh is with running the ball up the middle, on using a guy like Nick Ward 
and giving him so many touches and so many minutes and everything. Nick Ward's a good player. He'll probably be all Big Ten and everything. But the game has changed. I mean, against certain teams, you do go big. But, I mean, he just he's a ball stopper, and he doesn't stretch the floor. It's not like he can shoot the three like Mo Wagner could or whatever. So I, I just don't get why Izzo is so stubborn on playing this old-school style basketball. Yeah, I would still play Ward, but I, would, I wouldn't, I would you know, by any stretch try to pound it inside constantly. But I would play him. I mean, the guy can rebound. The guy can run the floor, but they're outside shooters like Langford and the others. That that's how that's how they got to play. They got to shoot it from the three. Yeah, and I mean Nick Ward doesn't do that. No. And I mean if a team like Michigan or you know somebody else, it's not all about Michigan, but somebody else has guys that can stretch the floor, stretch four, five type players. Uh, Nick Ward can't guard him because we saw Mo Wagner put him on the spin cycle like right. times last year. So I mean if if you're so reliant on Nick Ward being your guy and you have a, you're going up against a team that's going small. I mean, you're going to be in trouble. Right. Don't forget to check out the folks at Rivals Tap House and Grill. That's the local spot to meet up with your friends, catch your favorite sporting events on their 21 big screen TVs, all kinds of weekly food and drink specials, including great burgers, wings, and pizza, along with homemade soup and salad. That's Rivals Tap House and Grill, located on the corner of Shiawassee at M21 in Corona. And uh, you stocked up on some of their food last week. What, What did you hook up on? I ordered every appetizer they had on their menu, and if I could recommend one, I would say the Pizza Pucks, which is sort of deep-fried, you know, pepperonis, cheese, pizza sauce, very good. Sounds outstanding. So that's Rivals Tap House and Grill, one of our great partners. Well, next up on the pod, let's see what's going on again with one of our favorite athletic supporters, Jack Strap. Jerry! Last Saturday I was blasting the Michigan fight song while mixing up a batch of my possum stew, drinking my Pat's Blue Ribbon beer, and high-fiving my friends as we prepared to finish off the Revenge Tour. Instead, we watched the Revenge Tour bus cross the railroad tracks in Columbus, Ohio, where the tour bus was demolished by the Ohio State Buckeye train, led by maestro conductor Urban Meyer, coaching offense, defense, special teams, check, 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 the Buckeye beatdown. It's been so long since I've been this depressed. They crossed all their T's, and the Ohio State band even dotted the I before kickoff. Humiliation, I'm telling you. Lost to the Buckeyes last week. Now my pants have one huge brown streak in hell. I smell. Thanks, Michigan. You failed your big gas. 62 points humiliation. We experienced castration. Hells, bells to Michigan. We failed our big gas. Let's face it, guys. They own us right now. We're their bitches. I'm going to go get a red dress on. When asked why Meyer didn't score 70, he said, we had 62. Lost to the Buckeyes last week. Now my pants have one huge brown streak. I smell. Thanks, Michigan. You failed your big ass. Woody Hayes punched Harbaugh right between the Buckeyes. I can hear Bob Eufer rolling in his grave. Oh, the humanity, the humanity. Everyone now lost to the Buckeyes last week. Now my pants have one huge brown streak now. I smell. Thanks, Michigan. You fed your big dad. Yes. I'm going to go get my dress. See you guys. 
All right. Uh, good stuff as always from Jackstrap. Not a bad way to end the show, and that's what we'll do. We'll end it right now. Don't forget, please share Three Point Podcast with all your friends and family. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, SoundCloud, or TuneIn. Give us a rating. Send us a comment to our podcast page or Twitter. We're at Three Point Pod, or you can also email us at threepointpod at gmail.com. Thanks again to our partners, Rivals Tap House and Grill, the Corona Connection, Corona Public Schools, and Z92.5 The Castle. This has been a Sportsnet Michigan production. Until next time, thanks for listening to Three Point Podcast.